Well, good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am thrilled that each and every one of you is here this morning. What a joy it is to worship. Thanks to our worship team for leading us. Thanks to Lara for uh, a great uh, sharing of her story about serving and, and what that looks like. Well, I invite you to pray with me as we uh, prepare to enter into God's Word. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to worship, to sing out loud of your worth. And Lord, we ask now that you would work in our hearts and minds. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, that they do bring you glory and honor. I ask that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's a delight to be uh, back up here doing some teaching and uh, just super thankful for uh, the team that um, God has given us to lead us in worship and to bring different perspectives on the word. So thankful for Dean and for Brad, the messages that they brought the last couple weeks. We've been in a series on anchors of faith. So we've been looking at some key scriptures, some key perspectives from some different folks on those verses, those anchors that when life can get difficult, you've got an anchor of the soul. You've got some words from God that are there for you to encourage you, to guide you, to shape you, to challenge you. So this morning, let me ask you, do you have anchors of faith? Is your life anchored in God's word? Do you have those anchors? I want to share an anchor, a set of anchor scriptures this morning that means something uh, really in my life and I hope is an encouragement to you this morning. But the challenge for each one of us is, do we have those anchors of faith in God's word that are there for us, whatever life brings, in whatever life stage you're in? I know we got lots of students here this morning. As you look ahead, as you anticipate, what are the challenges of life that will be in this next season? Or maybe you're in your last decade of life. Nobody knows for sure when that is, but maybe that's you. What is what are those anchors? What are those truths that may be, oh, I see a new dimension of God's love and his grace and his character. But what are those for you? As I shared last week, I had the opportunity to spend um, about a week and a half in the country of Brazil and do uh, just really some good work, more in the sense of receiving than giving, more in the sense of really watching and learning about the ministry that's going on in um, Brazil. But I did get to do some things, and one of the things I did get to do, believe it or not, was help run a, an American football clinic. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine how I found out about that and then got the opportunity to do it. I want to show you a picture here uh, real quick. This is... Uh, uh, a new friend of mine, this is uh, Pastor Guga. 
This is Pastor Googie. He was one of our interpreters. You can see a blue whistle around my neck. I, I managed to find a whistle when I was there, too. Really interesting when you think about teaching Brazilian kids American football through a translator. They know soccer, they know basketball, but they don't know American football. They wanted to catch it and almost like rugby, throw it again. Say, no, 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 you couldn't do that. But I had a great opportunity to do that in uh, one, one just kind of fun moment that just reminded me, even though we're born in different places, different circumstances, different challenges, at the core, there's no difference in people. So we got the kids, we, we, we help them understand two-hand touch. Much as I wanted to play tackle, we didn't think that was appropriate. But uh, they're playing a game of two-hand touch, and, and they're catching on, and there's a play, and they're almost, you know, it's, it's debatable whether the kids scored or not. And there happened to be another volunteer there with, with a camera right there, right on the goal line. So we... We, we, we called timeout. We went to instant replay. You got all these Brazilian kids. We're all huddled around watching and re-watching the video. And no, he was not in. The touchdown was denied. But as I got some time with, with Pastor Guga, uh, we just had a great time together. And of all things, we talked about workouts. He's, he's a pretty fit dude, had lost about 50 pounds and was really getting himself into some good shape. So we, we talked about workouts. We talked about nutrition, all these things, supplements, the whole, the whole nine yards. But there was one moment when Pastor Guga, he said this, he says, you know, Pastor Jason, and there everything's pastor. I said, what is that, Pastor Guga? He says, you know that Bible verse? He says, uh, it's in one of, uh, one of Paul's letters. He says, you know, uh, it says, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. And as I, that, that's, a, that's a familiar verse to me, but as Guga, Pastor Guga and I were, were talking, that took on a new life for me. Different circumstances. What is ultimately most important in life? Physical training has value, but there's a spiritual training that is even more depth. And, and whenever I hear that verse now, I will think of my new friend, Pastor Guga. And when we look at Scripture, we, we look at the context, we look at commentaries, we do all those wonderful things to make sure we're clear and you're accurate about the Word of God. Amen? At the same time, God works through people through His Word so there are individual stories of the application of that scripture that can bring it to life. And that was an encouragement to me, and I want to encourage you this morning with uh, some words from, uh, from scripture this morning. And I want to remind us of this fundamental truth. Paul, as he's getting ready to hand off things to his, uh, his young protege, Timothy, he reminds me, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. It, it comes from the, the mouth of God. It is from God. And it is useful for training in righteousness so that servants of God may be thoroughly equipped 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. I've been thinking a lot about work lately. If you're like me, sometimes you worry about the work that God's called you to. Do I have any worriers in the house? You just, there's some, some anxiety there. There's some, some weight to the worry. Maybe that's at the level of my job, how I spend the bulk of my waking hours. Maybe you're in that season. Maybe it's related to your job. Maybe as you think about the work that you're called to do, it's, it's what is that work for God that I've been called to do? And maybe it cuts even a little bit deeper. What's the relationship between who I am and what I am called to do? What does that look like for you? For me, it's been a lifelong struggle with getting those things right. And I want to help us all in this process this morning by looking at uh, one of the anchor, anchor scriptures for me, and that's in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. I would invite you to turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. But this is an anchor scripture that gives me some perspective on work. This is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. I'll begin in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want to start us with a fundamental truth about the gospel. That's going to be a foundation for us. The gospel sets you free to live now and forever with Jesus. We'll get to your work, we'll get to my work, we'll get there, but I want this foundation, this anchor, the gospel, the good news that Jesus has rescued us from the power of sin and death and that we, we put our faith and our trust in him, we are, we are set free. We are set free. And I want to look at the, uh, a, a part of that. Sometimes when we hear the term gospel and we think about, okay, that's God has forgiven me from my sins. That's a good thing, amen? So Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and, and th there's a lot of depth to that. And we'll talk about that, but it's, it's even more than that. When we think about being rescued, we're all, we all come with a default mindset. We have a default pattern 
that says, the world revolves around me. I was reminded of that um, this week. As I maybe mentioned a time or two, I have two granddaughters, and the two were together. Eleanor, who's two, Phoebe, who is six months. Oh, they're so cute, and they're so wonderful, and they bring me such joy. They really do. The other day, I heard this from, uh, from their mother. Little Eleanor just, Phoebe's learned how to sit up. She's like a strong sitter. Eleanor just pushes her over. Just pushes her over. I mean, premeditated, pushes her over. And she says, Mommy, it happens. <laughs> Mommy, it happens. Look at you, what's that about? Already you're learning how, you know, third-person pronoun, avoid responsibility, rationalize your sin. What's cute at two and funny won't be as cute at 12 or 22 or 32 or 52. I can keep going. But there is a default pattern of rationalizing our sin, of uh, uh, just a pattern that we need to be rescued from. And there's an initial step of faith, and then there's a lifelong process. What these verses do is remind us of a couple things. When we put our, our faith and trust in Christ, we have life with Jesus now. We have been raised up. We are seated at the right hand. And we are seated with Jesus. We are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Now that's hard to fathom. But what that means is we have a perspective. We have a life with God that's available to us. Not just for eternity future. But that's available to us right now. Right now, we have the opportunity for new life with Jesus right now. Our, our lives, Paul will say in Colossians, that our lives are now hidden in Christ with him. They're protected. We are with him now. And the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That's the good news. That is the good news. We live in this weird already, not yet, where those promises are already true, they've made they're made possible, and we live in the not yet of still dealing with, it happens. Let's continue. Paul says this in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of of God. That's a glorious truth. That truth first came to life or first came to my understanding, probably late elementary school. And I was sitting in a Sunday school class, fourth, maybe fourth grade or so. And uh, I'll never forget uh, the pastor's wife, Becky, was leading us through this and it was talking about this idea of justification and just as if I'd never sinned and how how God looked at me differently. 
And at one level, as a, you know, fourth, fifth grade kid, I could, I could grasp this a little bit, but I did it more as, as a um, kind of a formula, kind of a mathematical deal, kind of a transactional understanding. It's like, okay, I get that. I get that I'm a sinner. I understand that Jesus has paid the price for me, but it was really abstract. Has anybody been there? Where you've got this truth and it's kind of out there and I can, I can maybe fill in the blank and give you the right answer, but it hadn't really taken hold yet. And good night, I'm in fourth grade, right? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a process here. But then as I was, I want to go on in this verse because there's, there's more to it here. Verse 9 says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Paul's going overboard here to make sure that we don't boast. And, and for, for years I looked at that and I'm like, well, I, I'm not going to say I'm saved by my works. I don't know of anybody that would actually say that out loud. There are different systems that kind of lead us that way, but to directly boast that in an arrogant way, I don't really see people doing that. But then I, I looked at that word boast again. And this word boast means to, to glory in a thing, to find joy in a thing, to find your identity, your purpose, your joy in what you do. Think about that for a moment. What is the source of your purpose, your identity, your joy? Is it simply in what you do? For me, that's been a struggle. Because so much of my personal identity was tied up in the things that I do. Anybody with me this morning? And it manifested itself in some weird ways as a little kid. I was a painfully shy, anxious, worrying little kid. Let me give you some examples. I'll never forget like early elementary school doing those math worksheets with a greater than, less than sign. And I got them all wrong. I, for some reason, I couldn't grasp that. And I remember the, the red ink worksheet. Still. Why, why? I'm 53. Why does this still stick out? Well, there was shame there. Okay. I've told you a few times I got cut from the fourth grade choir. There's still some, some, some shame in that. I remember striking out every time in t-ball. That's hard to do. There's shame in that. And I'll tell football stories on occasion, but I remember my first football game as a second grader. Played for the Steelers. But guess who didn't make it to that game? This guy. I, my stomach was in such knots. I was so anxious that my parents ended up taking me to the hospital. For real. There wasn't anything wrong. I mean, I was just anxious, just tied up in knots. 
But that was, that was real, and I had to work through some of that. I remember going to church, and blessed with great parents, took me to church. But I would get nervous because I might have to interact with somebody at church. Those of you who are like, oh, no, we're going to have a greeting time. I don't want to do it. Yeah, I was there. I was there. And how that manifested for me, I, I kind of went to flip side a little bit. Okay, now I've got to be a high achiever because I don't want to deal with that shame. So I became a really good student, pretty decent athlete, and got so much of my identity from that. I remember writing a college application scholarship essay. Of course, it had to be five paragraphs, perfect structure, but I talked about my academic accomplishments, my athletic accomplishments, and my spiritual accomplishments. Clear thesis statement, everything supported perfectly. Nice, neat, five-paragraph essay of my achievements and accomplishments. That's how I thought it would go. Well, it didn't always go that way. (laughs) But I would invite you to lean into that thought this morning. What is your identity tied to? And I had a hard time once there wasn't a grade book or a scoreboard. I had to figure that out. That took a little bit of time. The great thing about the gospel is the gospel sets you free from working for your identity. The gospel sets you free from working for your identity. Let me explain what that means. The gospel burns off an attitude of earning. The attitude that says, it's because of what I've done or my My work, my effort somehow earns God's love for me. God's relationship with me. Somehow it's tied up into that. And the good news of the gospel is we're set free from that. We're set free from that. And there's an attitude there. And here's one thing I've learned over the years. You can have all your theology buttoned up. You can have a clear understanding. You could have this verse memorized. You could have a bunch of the scripture just overflowing, and those are all good things. Please don't misunderstand me. Scripture memorization is good. We hide God's word in our heart. And we cannot experience the freedom in Christ that he offers us. So that was part of, part of my journey. Well, let's continue. I want to go to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, the gospel gives us an identity and a purpose. 
that comes from this idea that we are God's workmanship. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll talk about another facet of the diamond of the gospel, the, the doctrine of adoption, that we are, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are adopted into the family, so I can call God Father, and we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's a, a glorious truth. And we are His workmanship. I want you to think about that concept of being God's workmanship. Other translations will say his, his handiwork. I love Lara's question about what have you, what have you built or what are you, what are you proud of? And my most recent building project, um, I won't tell you all the backstory, I don't have time for that, but building a new kitchen table. It seems really easy on YouTube. You go, you get the boards, you glue them together, you, you, you put the nice hairpin legs on them. And it's, as projects go, it hasn't been too bad. But one of the things that I've discovered is, you know, when you, when you glue boards together, and even if you clamp them the right way and all that, there's still like a lot of nasty glue. And they don't, at least the way I did it, they didn't match up perfectly. So I had to get out my friend the sander and sand and sand and sand. And you start with like the, like the 60 grit and you go all the way to the 220 where it gets smoother and smoother. And in many ways, that's the process that God works in us. If we're his workmanship, that means God is always working. He is always working. If all this stuff we've already talked about is true, he is for us. He has great plans for us. He has works for us to step into. But if we're his workmanship, he's going to be refining us. And sometimes that process really hurts. Have you experienced God's workmanship? Have you, the the, the chisel, the sanding, the rough edges that need to come off. And I've spent time with, with some of you who've been following Jesus a long time, and nobody's yet told me, you know what, when I hit 75, I was perfect. Or when I hit 80, I was perfect. I hear it's still hard. God is still working. And that's encouraging because it gives us eyes to see the ways that he is working for us. There's a process of building and there's a process of subtracting. There's a process of construction and, and deconstruction in some ways. And, you know, that's, let me just share quickly what that's looked like for me. God's brought a lot of physical challenge into my life. Kind of rare, cancer, spinal cord stroke. I don't think I ever got COVID. I, I just go for the exotic things. <laughs> but that process has been refining. Because what that does is that strips away a lot of the layers of pretense. And in many ways, physical suffering, while it's been hard, 
hasn't been as hard as some other things in my life because I can get into performer mode there. I can be the strong, tough guy going through hard things. So in many ways, God has, has worked in my life, not just through physical suffering, but parenting challenges, career challenges. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know the sanctifying process of parenting. And by that, I simply mean the process that helps you become more like Jesus, and you have to say it's not about me. But I remember, you know, a, a, a few years ago, middle of the pandemic, tough season, pandemic, church leadership, uh, if you've been with us for a minute, we made a big challenging and, and I believe right decision with the gathering place and Greenwood Christian Academy coming in. But that was really hard. There were some hard meetings. There was some hard stuff with that. And in the middle of that, dealing with some other things at home and... Uh, my wife and I at one point said, you know, and, and really thanks to her leading, we said, you know what, we need to get some counseling. We need to get some therapy because this is just, I, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have this. And, and you can love Jesus and be blessed by a good therapist. Amen? Know that to be true. There's no, I don't care how tough you think you are, there, there's no shame in that. There is no shame in that. But one point, uh, my therapist said this, and I'm, I'm, I'm explaining some of the challenges I'm going through. And he said, Jason, well, what if it all collapsed? What if every decision you've made, what if it all went south? What if everything you did was a failure? Like, I'm paying you to ask me that question? Good money. But it was a revealing question because what it said is, what's at the very core? Is it about what you do or is it about who you are as a child of God? And I had to come to that point and ask myself that hard question. What if it all is taken away? From a, not just a physical standpoint, but, but even from a career standpoint. What, what, where would you be? What would you have left? And that's a question I believe we all have to ask ourselves. Where would you be? The encouraging things of these verses is we're still in a good place because we're with Jesus. And the good news is the gospel sets you free to work from your identity in Christ. Because when you get to that point, when you say this is where my identity is from, then I am free to work. Because it's no longer about me. It's no longer about me. Because who you are in Christ always comes before what you do for Christ. So the question I want to leave you with this morning, and I'll allow the Holy Spirit to just continue to be your teacher. What is the work that God is freeing you to do? What is the work in this season, and I don't care if you're... you're 17 or 87, what is the work that God is freeing you to do? And would you have the boldness to just say, God, show me what that is. And give me the courage, give me the faith to just simply 
step into that. But what is the work, not that God is just calling you to do, but that he is actually freeing you to do? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love, a love that frees us. The good news of the gospel that says we didn't earn it. The good news of the gospel that says you have, you have given us an identity that we don't achieve. We just receive it. And may that truth motivate us out of simple gratitude to say, thank you, Jesus, show me the next right thing to do. Holy Spirit, ask now that you guide us as we allow your words to penetrate our hearts and minds. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.